Hey guys, welcome back to the Wars in the North series. Um, I'm your host, Devin Clays, and today I got with me here Stephen Wendell. Hello, it's nice to be back. Tanner Gray. Howdy, howdy. Um, mm. Yeah, so sorry about that uh, that brief pause. I had to get in a new book called uh, The Northern Wars by Robert Frost. It's a very good book, by the way. Yes, yeah, so I just needed some more source material and whatnot because a lot of these sources are just like in Swedish and Polish, Russian and whatnot. And so it's hard to find stuff in English here. Um, but yeah, we are back. Um, today we're going to be talking about the Kalmar War. It starts in uh, 1611, right? And where we find ourselves is Sweden is currently involved in the Ingrian War against the Russians during their time of troubles, right? Which we talked about previously. Um, now, on the other side of the coin, you've also got the Kalmar War. So, so here's a situation, right? You've got this province in northern Norway known as Lapland, right? And this province is very sparsely populated. And so what Sweden decides to do is they end up sending people to move into Lapland and hopefully set up a port over there so they can circumvent the the sound dues in Denmark, you know, so they don't have to pay the tolls for these taxes. The Danes had this thing known as the sound toll. And so all Baltic trade coming in or out, you would have to pay the Danes in order to make this trade happen. Hmm. Because the Danes own the waters there, and that's narrow, so it was pretty much essentially a loophole to get around the tax for trading. Yeah, yeah, it's a loophole to get around it, bro. Because like no one's really a fan of it, dude. The Danes are just like extorting people, hmm. so no one else was mad about it except for the Danes. Yeah, yeah, which exa- makes sense. That's exactly mm-hmm. it. And so you know, the Danes obviously are not a fan of this. And they, they warned Charles to, like, basically cut that shit out. And Charles of Sweden, he doesn't, he's, he's not with it, man. He's going to stick to his guns. And the Danes are essentially forced to declare war, right? They want to keep that money. Yeah. Yeah, taxes. dude. I mean, you have to. In Denmark's perspective, like, this seems like a no-brainer. Like, you have, like, unless you just want to just let Sweden impose its will, you know? No, absolutely not. And so the Danes, they end up uh, starting out real hot and heavy. They invade southern Sweden, taking various fortresses and villages and stuff like that. Uh, Most notably, Kalmar itself, which ends up being a really big dub. The Swedes, on the other hand, they end up invading Norway. And although the Swedes successfully, successfully start out this invasion... The Swedish soldiers end up looting and pillaging and whatnot. And this really pisses off the native Norwegians there, right? Mm -hmm. Building a bunch of resentment. And so getting supplies over the mountains like that is already a tough deal in itself. But when you have all of the native population actively trying to disrupt this, the Swedish position essentially becomes unsustainable. And the Swedish end up packing up and leaving. Meanwhile, the Danes are still making gains in the south, right? Now, at this point, you know, come October of that year, Charles dies, 
right? Charles kicks the bucket, and Gustavus Adolphus ends up taking the throne, who we discussed per- previously about his reforms. The dude's a badass. Yeah, he's a badass, 100%. But Gustavus, when he takes the throne, he's not in a good position. You know what I mean? Doesn't he have, like, multiple wars going on? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's He immediately comes into this position. Sweden's fucking not doing too hot financially, and it's all at war on two fronts. Yeah, right? it doesn't sound like a good situation. Yeah, because yeah, they're already knee-deep in the Ingrian War with the Russians. He essentially tries to push for, like, a peace with the Danes, you know, so he can just focus on Russia. But... Unfortunately for them, the Danes, they see this as an opportunity. Sweden's weak, you know, they're they're obviously distracted. We could push for some major gains and get like a decisive victory against the Swedes. And so what the Danes decide to do is go ahead and do a spearhead, try to like snipe out Stockholm and force like some serious concessions, mm. right? They could, this could really, this could be potentially really big for Denmark. Unfortunately, though, for the Danes, the um, the Swedish decide to employ a scor- scorched earth policy, <laughs> right? Ooh. For those of us who don't know what that means, what is a scorched earth policy? So essentially, what they decide to do is they like deprive the enemy of like all food and resources all the way to Stockholm. And so this army, hoping to forage off the land for its supplies is now having a much tougher time doing There's like so. burning crops and stuff. Yeah, the whole nine, dude. You fucking take the cattle, burn the crops, you know, do all that. And so the men are low on supplies. Doesn't that fuck up Sweden in the long run, though? It would, but, you know, it was, it was either that or you're going to lose the capital and the Danes are going to show up. Like a large chunk of the Danish force are mercenaries. Hmm. Because a lot of armies at this time still rely on mercenaries heavily. And so, you know, what happens when you don't pay the mercenaries and don't have the money? They fucking leave. Yep. As, yeah. a, as we've seen time and time again in this series. Yeah, they literally they, just uh, drop their shit and they leave. Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah. <laughs> it seems to be the reoccurring theme I mean, here. I would do that. Yeah. But yeah, so they dip. And then the Danes, at the same time, are also getting outside pressure oh from like other countries because like they're probably sick of their bullshit exactly like taxing them up because of trade yeah the the english and the dutch they start weighing in oh they have no reason to talk though <laughs> yeah no no no, no <laughs> these no. motherfuckers own like the entire english channel probably like and they're like we don't like how you're taxing the baltic trade over yeah there. yeah dude like they have their own interests in the baltic of course know? they do especially the fucking dutch so it wasn't like a fair thing it was more of like a way for them to capitalize yeah and essentially their biggest fear was like they see that potentially Denmark could score a major win here. Yeah. So they're like, okay, this shit needs to end. And Denmark was a rival during that time, I assume. They were a major power, maybe, or close to it. Uh, they, so they're they're like a middling power at this point. They're not as strong as they used to be, but th- their fleet and commerce like, is substantial. Yeah. And, well, you know, all trade, as I said earlier, through the sound hole, you know, everybody's got to pay a tax. That's not just the Swedes. The Danes and the English, or I mean the English and the Dutch, yeah. they also got to pay taxes. So a stronger Denmark is very counterproductive for their interests. Yeah. And so they start putting pressure 
on them same time as like Denmark is suffering from these failures or whatever and essentially they, they're forced to come to peace terms right mm -hmm. um and so what the peace settlement has in uh in 1613 they they end up forcing the Swedes to pay massive ransoms for all the castles and towns they took to give them back to Sweden which is good for Denmark, you know, they get a large lump of cash from Sweden, who's already impoverished. Not bad. Yeah, but, um, and then of course, Denmark, they they solidify their claim on Lapland via Norway mm. or whatever. So this is no longer up for discussion. It's not disputed. And Norway is still a partner or a junior partner. Exactly. Yep. Of Denmark at this point. Yep. Yeah, Norway's still under the Danes and... I believe Norway will stay under the Danes for several hundred more years or not several hundred for about like 200 more years or so. Really? Yeah. Till the 1800s. Really? Yep. I and didn't then, know that. yeah. And then Norway actually becomes a union under Sweden. The Norwegians get independence from them. So when do they, or that's off. But topic. That, yeah. That, that's like a whole separate discussion. In yeah, itself, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, regardless, like the Norwegians for the most part are they're they're pretty loyal to the Danes. But regardless, so this peace, peace deal happens, and it's significant um, for a couple of reasons. One, this is going to be the last time the Danes are actually able to put up a serious fight against Sweden. Granted, Sweden's also at war on two fronts, so that might have something to do with it. Yeah, man, this is going to be the last time the Danes are going to like come into conflict and be able to protect its uh its sound dues other than that like the the military might of the danes is acknowledged they're they're acknowledged as competent commanders and a competent army unfortunately for them when they get involved in the 30 years war five years from now they uh they're absolutely humiliated but that's beside the point for now people respect the danes and their ability to wage warfare hmm but let's fucking shift into like Sweden and look at it like a deeper dive of how their society is working right now. Because we talked about before Gustavus Adolphus and his reforms and stuff, but like Sweden has been making a very important societal shift. Because Sweden, as we talked about, dude, they, they've been almost a constant war for like 50 years now. And they're going to be continually at war after this. Um, and so what happens is like, you know, looking at Sweden at a glance, right? As a small population, it's, it's crop yields are smaller. The growing season is shorter. They, they don't have a big artisan uh, or production uh, sector and commerce. A lot of their ports freeze, hence the need to expand into Livonia and other mm -hmm. parts of the Baltic. And so the people there are just poor, bro. They're very impoverished. Um, a lot of the nobility there, you can't even tell them from the peasants, really, except for the fact that they don't pay taxes like the peasants do, <laughs> naturally. Peasants must pay the tax. <laughs> yeah, dude. They're peasants, after all. Not of royal, royal blood. As my full bass were. <laughs> but what you see is like, um, you know, to so how does Sweden, you know, counteract this poverty and use it to its advantage? 
mo like it sounds like a pretty sit shitty situation so it's like how how is it even possible that sweden's able to hold its own and even go toe to toe with the russians and the poles and the danes well they essentially they adopt these new little tax codes and methods for its military right because as we mentioned previously sweden is protestant right and when the reformation hit sweden and they converted over the crown took all of the lands from the clergy directly was that a lot of land it was about thirteen thousand farmsteads maybe a little more it's a lot whereas before they only had two thousand so now we're looking at like Fifteen thousand. That's a good forty so percent increase. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a nice it's, increase. It's substantial. <laughs> no, more money in the bank. Yeah, <laughs> and so you're you're getting all these revenues directly to the crown. Um, but interestingly enough, so like a lot of countries at this time, they would they would dish out lands for military service, right? And these lands would be hereditarily owned. Sweden's different though. And instead of doing this, they do, in fact, give out farmsteads and lands for veterans and people who serve. But what they do instead is they do a contract system. And so essentially, if you join up and you reenlist and whatnot, you'll be giving revenues of so many farms, right? And the more times you reenlist and go up in rank, you're going to get more farms and more revenues. But if you decide not to reenlist, all that revenue goes away. So now it just seems all the revenue goes away. Like they don't get to keep the farms. They don't get to keep the farms. Exactly. So if they it's, get out, if, if they get yeah, out of yeah, the military, yeah. they don't get any. They don't get to keep fucked. all the shit they fought nope. for. They're fucked. Nope. It sounds like familiar that... familiar things, and the military <laughs> likes to fuck people. <laughs> Is that why that people were serving so long? Yes, yeah, because they got to keep exactly. all their shit. I mean, yeah, yeah, it would make sense. They're like, well, be, damn, I don't want to be a poor bitch, so yeah, I might as well dude. just yeah, I, I, like as I said, the whole the nation's impoverished as a whole. But mm -hmm. you want to not be fucking poor? Join up with the military. That sounds fucking miserable, dude. It's like a, it's just that's it's a all, scheme. Yeah. And so you a cycle of slavery, bro. You, dude, <laughs> like, like over generations, this builds a really strong, you know, military culture. An importance in Swedish society and gives you know? them like yeah. Yeah, dude. status in military yeah, shit. Yeah, dude, and they start gaining more influence in politics. Naturally, this and that they they essentially become their own estate, unofficially. Just the military, straight up. Yeah, the military, like to be mentioned alongside the clergy, nobility, and the peasant classes. The military being its own separate thing, whoa, unofficially, whoa. of course. Right. And so now as a result, you know, nobody likes fighting and dying. Right. But if you're broke as fuck, you might, you might reenlist rather like keep that starving. standard of living. Yeah. And so, you know, that's how you have this elite cracked professional force. Right. We already talked about how Gustavus was molding Sweden to become more professional. Right like in all of his military reforms, but on a societal standpoint, <coughs> now you're having all these dudes reenlist, right? And so you've got an officer corps of people who served 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Right. That's a lot of experience. Yeah. So you have these hardcore veterans that know what's up. They don't crack under like under pressure and you know, worst case scenario, these fuckers die. And then the government just gets all that land back to be redistributed again. <laughs> 
so such a freaking scam dude <laughs> yeah dude like join up you don't want to be poor fucking serve in the army right sounds about then, right you know and then to, always like, taking the poor people dude <laughs> ever since the beginning it seems like military dude. government makes them all serve yeah well all the poor yeah i mean well in polish society and russian society it's it's like even different but that's like a whole different conversation we we may or may not have time for in this episode but so I just wanted to go in this like little militarism, like in peacetime, the Swedes, they would adopt this policy of like, you know, when the soldiers aren't fighting, they would go to the farms that they were collecting revenues for and they would work the farms, the enlisted, they would become farm hands and the officers, they would just pull up to their farmsteads they owned contractually and just, they would take over the managerial, yeah, yeah the managerial tasks and basically do nothing, but <laughs> Again, um, sounds about right. Yeah, so it was it was a good <laughs> deal, um, you know. So that's like just a way to escape poverty in a land that doesn't really have a whole lot going for it hmm. commercially. In a way, it's know, smart. It's a it's a very it's a stroke of genius, and just like implementing this system is going to be a huge factor for <laughs> what is going to now begin Sweden's age of greatness. Right from this point for the next hundred years, whoa, the Sweden is going to be going into a golden age, but also constantly being at war. Right? They always are at war, yeah, because now, well, with, <laughs> yeah, the Swedes are always at fucking war, but now, like, now, due to this military service, right, people want to get promoted, right? So that way they get more farms and more revenues. And so, how do you do that? You distinguish yourself via military service and how do you do that you need wars <laughs> so now this whole this whole uh, it makes sense <laughs> yeah dude and so this whole trying to pick a fight with anybody bro dude, this new emerging political class is now you have a lot of the top people in charge a lot of wealthy people in charge that are always wanting war we always need more war so like that way I can show off how badass and smart I am so I can get more money. More fucking wars the better. Yeah, dude. And as a tool for advancement, man, it just this is how you see the rise of Swedish imperialism during this age. This is like this system is what starts it. So now you've got the constant gears of war turning and the society that is constantly supportive of the king's wars, right? Whereas in different, in contrast, you have states like Poland and Denmark, where their nobles and their, their societies, yeah, they like offensive wars, not really smiled upon. You know, they could be called upon to defend the lands, perhaps. Even in Poland, half the time, their fucking nobles don't even want to defend their other peoples. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's just important to note, and I just want to dive into this before we get further down the road mm -hmm. in uh, Sweden's timeline. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the soldier with the plow isn't going to make a big military career like the one with the fucking rifle. <laughs> Makes um, sense. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's, that's going to conclude this episode. This one's going to be a little bit shorter. Um, but, yeah, we'll be talking about Sweden a lot. What's and, the next episode going to be about? Have you decided yet? The next war? is going to be Gustavus Adolphus's invasion of Poland. Oh, sick. So, yeah. So 
essentially the Kalmar War gets wrapped up. The Ingrian War goes on for another several years, but it gets wrapped up. And as soon as peace is found, war must be started again. <laughs> yes, dude. That's it. War, dude. That is one dude, day of peace, and then back war at it. Maybe. Is something that Gustavus Adolphus finds himself in from the minute he takes the crown all the way till he dies on the battlefield at Lutzen hmm. in the Thirty Years' War. So, you know, he he takes the crown, wins in the Ingrian War, and we're going to talk about like the great the, his his great invasion of Poland and essentially him trying to settle the disputes and claims in Livonia hmm. and whatnot and the transformation of warfare on this front because we're about to enter like enter a new age of warfare yeah as specified with his technology mm -hmm, and his shifting there. tactics and how this pays off and how other countries react to it sweet essentially but yeah that's going to be it for this week's episode yeah join join us next time for uh you know the second third and fourth <laughs> polish swedish wars <laughs> but yeah thank you guys for joining us